Now, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Crazy day. Well, let's get right into it. Brand new record called Wooden Heart Acoustic Anthology Volumes 1, 2, and 3 is available now. Really great stocking stuff for this holiday season. Remaining tour days for the rest of you are going to be hitting Dublin, California at a private event. So if you got tickets to that, great. Uh, December 17th and 18th in Kent and uh, North Tonawanda, New York, which is, uh, sounds like a native reservation. I like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Warren Del PA. Uh, welcome to the show. John Waite, everybody. There he is. Hey, how are you doing, guys? All good. good. Besides our doing... technical difficulties today, our third cups of coffee, and just trying to look presentable, right, Mitch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look at that. Yeah, and look at that. I, I do have a Huey Lewis cup of coffee. Oh, you do? Somewhere. So nice. We're good there. Hope it's the I big do. one. Yeah. It, it is the gigantic one. one. Look at yeah. that. It's the big one. But there yeah. you go. Uh, John, I got the John Waite shirt. We got the uh, the John Waite uh, wooden heart CD over here. It's also in my phone. I love Thank it. Thank you. Uh, John, yeah. always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um Let's just get started with the with the Wooden Heart Anthology. You and I have spoken about it before, but for those like Jeremy who's who might be a little bit more unaware of it, talk to me about the concept because it is a collection, as the word anthology would suggest, of uh, previously released material. But talk to me about how it came together. Well, about five years ago, I released a CD of unplugged songs. There was there was only four. It was like an EP. And I had two Richard Thompson songs and two original songs that I wanted to record. I went in the studio and cut them. It seemed appropriate because nobody was doing the, the unplugged thing at that point. And um, <clears throat> it's something I've always really, truly loved, but I've avoided because everybody else had done it. But when the, the smoke cleared, it seemed like a good time to do it. I had the guitar player in the studio. And after we cut those four songs, I, I pulled out a couple of things, more original songs, and he had to leave. He was going somewhere and um, he wasn't going to stay. And uh, I didn't know anybody else that could really keep up. So I was left with four songs. So I, I released it as, a, as a, an EP just to put something out for the people that might be following me. It was right. an easy, easy thing to do. And it did very well. And um, you know, it only cost like $3 or something on iTunes. You know, it was like, and we sold it as shows. Um, and then uh, about three years ago, I went back in. We we're doing so many acoustic shows as well as electric shows. I put together another um, CD and re-recorded Isn't It Time and Missing You and In God's Shadow. Uh, a lot of things that... Um, I thought were really worth it. And right. there were a couple of tracks on different albums that were unplugged that I already had. So I added those to the mix. So it was like volume two. And then with the pandemic, uh, I'd managed to sort of like not play music or whatever, or write for about 10 months. And yeah, then I started- A lot of people. It. Yeah. <laughs> and I started losing it. I just like, you know, I was just like enough, you know? So I went back in the studio to start an electric record and I couldn't get it to swing. I don't know what was wrong. It just sounded like it was dated or something. Mm. And before I left the studio, I thought I didn't want to leave empty handed. So I, I cut all these acoustic songs again. I started off with the Dylan song, Not Dark Yet. And it was, it kind of moved me. Um, it really moved me that, that I, I was taking on something that was so, huge you know it wasn't just like an average song it was a song that had 
real muscle and was uh, had many sides to it. And there's only a couple of people that actually taken it on. Eric Clapton, Shelby Lynn. Uh, you know, it was like, um, but I, I did it and I stood back and I, and it made sense to me. And I realized I'd come a long way as a singer and I'd come a long way as someone that might interpret somebody else's songs. I mean, it was an original, it wasn't like his version. You should never cover something and just do the original again. Right. And I, thought, I fully I put, agree with that. You got to yeah. give it your own energy. Yeah, totally. So I put my own, and I, and I had a higher regard for myself. Suddenly I thought, <laughs> well, this is good. You know, you come forward from. Did you surprise year. yourself while you were doing it? Yeah. Yeah. And if you do, you know, that's the good news. I mean, it's like, if you're just doing the same thing over and over again, and you think you've got an audience that you're singing to, um, I think you're going like a right in a wheel, you know? Right. So I, I picked some of the most lyrical songs like I-95 and more. And um, I added I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry from Temple Bar and um, Girl from the North Country, another Dylan song from uh, The Hard Way. And I had another CD. And so I think inspired by Dylan's uh, bootleg series, one, two, three, I decided I'd nothing to lose in putting the whole thing out in three CDs and um, capturing a moment. And for the people that had missed it, it would make it available. Yep. It didn't cost the earth. It was something I could put out. It, it wound up being distributed into Target, which oh, was wow. good news, you know? So it's in Target, signed copies in Target. And you can get a signed copy from John Waite worldwide, or you can come to the shows and get a copy. But right. it's out there in the world. I mean, it's the, the target thing was good because it means we're legit. You know, it's not like right. a, oh, yeah. a homemade thing. You know, it's like out there competing with everybody else. You're competing with Taylor great. Swift and uh, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Let me... Uh... Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. You came from, of course, uh, well, you started with the babies in the 70s, but in the 80s, you came from that time where we really started to get into production and a lot of keyboards and a lot of yeah. drum machines and a lot of stuff going on, you know, a lot of candy yeah. going on. Yeah. What's it like for you to strip back the songs and just have them acoustic? Do you like that, that sound, that timbre? Do you like that performance and the way they, they come across? Or once you have a moment, you want to get back in the studio and let's candy it up and let's throw all kinds of stuff on there. Get some cannonball no, snare on that. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, no, I could never stand keyboard bass. And all my instincts coming from the blues and country and folk are to keep it naked. Bands like Free that were a huge influence on me or the Stones even to a, lot of, to a large degree. Um, it's just what it is in the studio being played. It's the conversation between the musicians being recorded. If you if you separate that and re-record them to make it all perfect, you lose the soul and the swing of the track. Yeah. Obviously, uh, I tried in the 80s to keep as much of the live performance as I could. But um, something like Times Are Hard For Lovers, which I wrote with Desmond Child, it's just Desmond produced it and it's just like, you know, and I'm sort of amused. I'm bemused in the studio. Like, that's it. We love Desmond. Desmond does great work. 
Yeah, but, but um, he 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 likes the candy. He likes it sugary yeah, he sweet. He does. It's, it yeah. was beyond me. But um, working with somebody like that, you 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 don't want to put rein them in. I mean, it, if oh, there's no point working with them. Right. Uh, but following that, there's a track called um, uh, "Act of Love," which is pretty much live in the studio, wow. and it got better reviews. So I mean, I, yeah. You worked, I mean, it's like watching the Stones do dirty work, that, that album they made in the 80s. Yeah. And you and and they're looking around. They're trying to find a new way of saying it. And they can't go back to being the Stones that were on Sticky Fingers. Right. They're, they're trying to be of now. I mean, there's no point in being retro. That's been right. done. Well, that's you have to see the future and kind of arrange the the, the pieces to move into new areas you can't just be a, a classicist right and bore everybody to death which was I'm there like, a pressure in the 80s did, did, did the record company come to you and say listen that's a great single but we need a little bit more production to get it on radio you you really need to go back in there and add a few well no, I, I think that's been said to me okay uh in the 80s and i like you said and I didn't make the changes for the A&R guy. I just didn't. And he was pissed, you know. Where are my <laughs> changes? I said, he said to me over dinner, where are my changes? And I said, <laughs> like, you know, you didn't write the song. I did. Right. And, and oh, yeah. And it was like, you know, somebody that was not happy at the record company. But yeah. you do, you know, I mean, I think I've always been in command of the records I've made. I mean, I it, when it gets taken over, and it has been in the past, like with the babies, maybe a couple of times. And with bad English, you know, there's like this huge production and it's everything I don't want to do, you know? Yeah. But, but you have to fit into it somewhere. Like I said, to be in the present. And uh, was a band, uh, is a band, you know, a band is a band. It's just, there's a lot of people speaking at once. What was bad English frustrating to you? Because those are great, you know, power ballads, big production. I mean, that's, they threw in the kitchen sink on those albums. Yeah, there's a, there's a few kitchen sinks on the board there. But, uh, <laughs> Was know, that frustrating it, to you that it's not no, just more no, because, real? Yeah. I mean, everybody seems to be playing at once. There's a lot of information. Yep. But if you took the information out, it's not as strong. You have to play to your strengths. And um, there's a lot of talent in that band. And uh, me being sort of darker, I think, in a lyrical way and not doing the operatic thing, which makes me laugh. You know, I mean, it's just not me. Um, but having me be what I was um, uh, amongst that, that's back to the, the thing about being present and trying to look to the future and moving forward. Right. Yeah. Talking about bad English, I, I'm such a huge Neil Sean fan. I mean, the dude is just incredible guitar player and songwriter. Yeah. What was it like working with Neil? Was that a fun collaboration to do? Yeah, yeah. You could you could just like um, whistle something in soundcheck and he'd join in. Wow. He was gung ho to write, and he was very very positive, and never if we had disagreements, there was no kind of gr grudge or like not speaking. We just oh, wow. go out and get drunk and laugh about it. Then the next day, go back in and do it again. <laughs> he wasn't dramatic. <laughs> no, it was, it was um, there's no politics. You know, it was always just the music with him, which I always loved, you know. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to keep a relationship going and keeping it. Well, you know, if you, I mean, we've both been around the block. Yeah. But I mean, you know, uh, I remember once being between uh, those, our tour manager, a uh, road manager, this huge guy called Chris Arnstein, and me and Neil are in, the, in this bar, and he, we're on either side of Chris Arnstein. And I lean over, and I'm starting to really have a big row with Neil. And then he's shouting about, and we we try to get at each other in this oh, wow. And <laughs> and the tour manager put me in a headlock and Neil in a headlock at the bar, <laughs> and then we all started laughing. You know, it was, it was funny, and that's the kind of relationships you want to be in, where you can say what you got to say, and nobody takes it personally, and you think about it, you come back the next day and get it better. Yeah. That, that was, anyway, Neil Neil is great, and, and I, I was actually talking to Dean earlier this week, uh, just oh, yeah. a friendly chat. And anyway, great band, great music, love the memories. Uh, yep. Let me quickly get back to the anthology because the cover has your artwork on it, and you have yeah. your artwork over there. We recently spoke to Rick Allen of Def Leppard about his artwork. Talk to me about that. Is that something that you want to? You know, move on to and start doing exhibitions and start yeah. moving into that. Okay, talk to me about the art. It was very casual. I was doing sort of like this sort of selfie thing, which is just like a quick cartoon uh, that I would do for people that were outside the show if they couldn't get in and they had an album. I'd put a quick caricature of myself on and sign it as a as something extra. It's like giving somebody a guitar pick or spending five minutes. You know, you go the extra mile for people. And um, if you come to my concerts, I'm going to go the extra mile for you. It's just a very natural thing. And then suddenly um, there were people emailing and ringing up and uh, and saying, you know, can you do one for my wife or will you write the lyric out or whatever? And it was going on. You know, it was like it was ridiculous. And then I thought, well, shit, I went to art school for four years. I was going to be a designer, painter, illustrator. Really? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a diploma. Wow. Doesn't make I, I, I studied creative well, arts in college too and I hated it. <laughs> oh no. I mean, I really wanted to go to art school. I really right. did. It was a dream come true at 16 to go. Wow. It was like the height of Bohemian kind of it was great. Was that your I backup mean, plan if the music thing didn't work out? No, it was like I always loved music. I was always playing music. My brother was in a band, my cousin Michael was in a band. Yeah. All the art students are into like walking around with EP LPs. And um, in the middle of all that, I started a band and started playing art school dances. But I was first and foremost really aiming at being a painter. And uh, it just got to the point where I turned 18 and left art school and went to London with a band. I mean, it was like it's just a natural thing. It was faster. Anyway, look, um, this. I mean, this is one of them. This is uh, the French surrealist poet, Artaud. Wow. Uh, I just sold that yesterday. Oh, I thought that was a self-portrait for a second. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> get out. No, no. People <laughs> like me, don't do that. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, look at this. I'm not, I'm, I, I couldn't wait for a piece of... Well, how different work. is that from writing a song to composing a piece of art like that, putting pen to canvas? I mean, mm -hmm. is it is it the same kind of process where you're trying to come yeah. up with a concept? Or no, it is. It is. You get an urge. You get some sort of abstract image in your head of something, colors, shapes, uh, something that you're trying to put across. That's totally you can't put your finger on it, or you just see something in your head for a flash. Yeah. And the same thing is that 
is happening with songwriting. You're drawn towards two words that make no sense whatsoever, or something happens in your life that right. you can't put your finger on, and it necessitates, good word, uh, either painting it or singing it. And there's nothing sort of hoity-toity about it. It's just expression. Right. It's like I like to read, and because I'm curious about all sorts of things, you know. But I mean, the, as for the art thing, the, um, on John Wick Worldwide, there's like an entire, I mean, I looked at it yesterday, and we've sold maybe 200 pieces, and that's before you even get to what we sell on the road. Some of it's just abstract. Some of it's... Uh, portraiture of different people some of it's the selfies uh we right. put up four yesterday and sold them immediately i mean it's like and yeah it when the road becomes too much or if the pandemic kicks back in or if it's going to be the end of the road for music touring because now there's some bad news today about another strain of the covid yeah uh, i know saw right. that big time saw that coming um i'm going to go back to painting you know, it's something that I'm really interested in. Yeah. Yeah. To go back to the record really quickly, you talked about capturing a moment. And especially when you're doing covers, you don't necessarily want to just recreate what was already on record. You want to kind of make it right. your own. When yeah. you're sitting there and you're recording, I mean, are you going to do, is it just like a one take cut off the floor kind of thing? Or are you doing multiple and then you're going to try and go no, decide which I take think, you prefer? No. no, a lot of it is, a lot of it is just one take because uh, once you start at one end, you again it's like a painting you you put in a thing here that must be followed by this and that's why you would do this and you wouldn't repeat that you'd go somewhere else if you start going in i mean you do correct odd bum notes if you if if you know you do something that you think is completely wrong of course but, but the rule of thumb the gateway to it the key is to keep it as live as you can and the performance is everything and when I started out, I was dealing with, with producers who would cut the drums in perfect time. Then I would put the bass on in perfect tune and time. Not really playing to anything but what I heard in time. Then the guitar player would put the rhythm guitar in. Then they'd put a fucking 12 string in. And then it'd be synthesizers. And, they, and then it was like, get out, you know? With the thing that's great is that even when you fuck up, it's authentic. Yeah. And and if you don't go for, for being authentic, you're creating something that's plastic. Yeah. And and the human spirit doesn't react to that. I mean, I'm sure that we all sort of move pieces around to make it as good as it could be because you're not there in person. Right. You're trying to recreate the, the that moment of creation. But man. If you if you turn away from that, you turn away from the very essence of of what it is to people. No, totally. And it's like it's even it's kind of even translated to the live show these days because it's like so many shows are just run by the show computer and Pro Tools, and it's yeah. like you know oh. it leaves no room for improvisation at all. It's just so mechanical now. I know it's like the song's going to be four minutes long and it's going to stop dead. You can't jam with it or or try yeah. anything different. It, I you know. Ouch. I mean, yeah. wow. Well, we and won't mention the band, but we saw a band three times in the summer of 2019. They started at nine on the dot, <laughs> and at 1040, they stopped in all three cities. It was yeah. magical how it just. Yep. Well, 
just about pretty much the same week. banter every night too, you know? Yeah, but every yeah. arena rock band, every single one of them is doing that. Yeah. It's, a, it's corporate, it's big business, people are making money. How do you view that though? Because, you know, we have the grid and the Pro Tools and the whole thing, but when fans are paying 300 bucks to go to the Staples Center or the Bell Center or the whatever, don't they deserve a perfect show? Like, do you really want to go home and and as an artist, do you want to face the onslaught on Twitter and Facebook? Yeah. Of, oh, I he do. was horrible last night. No, I do. Yeah. If you don't is, mind that? If if you're not gambling, if you're not if you're not rolling the dice, that's a bit cliche. But if you're not going out there for that spontaneous moment, every room is different. Every audience is different. The band's right. in a different mood. We've come a different distance to get there somebody didn't get any sleep you know it, it beats yeah. you up the travel but you go on stage and it all coalesces all the energy and the, the personalities and you create something that's just out of it's like a wild horse man yeah. and uh that's the magic of what you do when i was a kid i would go and see bands at the local university i saw free the who oh, i mean i wow. saw all the great bands They'd come on Friday or Saturday night and blow your socks off. But if they'd had too much to drink, or if they were stoned, <laughs> yeah, they might was do, always, yeah, they were. <laughs> they might do a Sam Cooke song second, or Van Morrison song, or an old blues. They would just be in the moment. I've heard, I've heard bootleg tapes of Free playing their hits, and they're almost playing the lick backwards. <laughs> you know, I mean. And they're having a great time and they're going somewhere that's like, without that, it's not music. Yeah. And yeah. yes, I appreciate that it that it is big business. And yes, I get it. And if you want to go and listen to somebody uh, lip syncing and looking all pained, playing the keyboards when they're not really playing, yeah, good on you. If that's what you like, there's room for everybody. Well, Look what happened to country. They're... Look what happened to country music. There's yeah. now synthesizers in country music. Well, it's it's Def Leppard with a fiddle. You can thank Mutt and Shania for that in the late 90s with those records. 100%. And, you know, but also, I also think modern country music sounds the way it does is because the rock bands don't want to sound like that. If you listen to today's pop, uh, pop country, you know, you listen to Florida Georgia Line and all those guys, or even Luke Bryan, it's basically 1987 arena rock. But on it's, country yeah, radio, it's, you know? it's Bon Jovi with a fiddle. That's what I've always said. Yeah. Whoa, that's good. Yeah. Uh, that's good. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's people. There are people that I started out thinking were really the 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 real deal, and they knew. Uh, there's one guy in particular, one, and he's just released a record, and the and he's got the hat on and the low voice and the <laughs> denim shirt, and he looks like he's been up for three weeks, and he's a hard living cowboy on life's highway. Yep. And the fucking record is all samples, it's auto-tuned, and it's made to be sold to an audience. Yeah, it's no longer three chords in the truth. Uh, my dog yeah, ran no, away, my wife divorced me, my beer's yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody shot my dog, that's the yeah. one. Yeah. Um, it's no longer that at all, but maybe that's where country's supposed to go. Country is the voice of the people. How many yeah. people now live on farms and work the land? And, and drive into town on Friday for a beer and to go and watch a, a band and do some dancing. Yeah. You know, how many people go to the Ryman to see some old-timey music? 
Not many. It's a different generation. And you cannot yeah. keep going back to the past and saying, this is the deal. It, like I said before, you have to be in the time you're in and yep. move forward and represent the people who were dealing with the economy being upside down, COVID, uh, having families they can't support anymore because of COVID and people going out, you know, just the world changing. You have to be, it's an honor, it's a point of honor. You have to represent what's out there yeah. or you're not being an artist. And it, and it draws you into a world that is now big business and you've got to be very careful. So you're telling me when uh, you're doing these gigs on December 17th in Kent, December 18th in North Tonawanda, and December 9th in Warrendale, you're not running the Pro Tools rig, and you know you're going to leave room for improvisation. We, is what we you're can't afford the Pro Tools rig. <laughs> we, There's we no go, grid. Yeah, no, we go into small places. What we've started doing now, interestingly enough, is that we we come out acoustic. Me and Mark Rashad, the guitar player, come out two acoustics, and we do like six songs. And in the middle of the sixth song, the band come out and kick off that song, the end of it. And then we go straight into all the big hits like Missing You, Change, Back on My Feet, Midnight, Rendezvous, Head First. You know, uh, we just we just hit it. And we have the two worlds. And, uh, you know, it's when it flies, it's the most wonderful thing, you know. Yeah. It's the greatest. There's no, no, there's no better feeling than being on stage and having that connection with fellow musicians and just getting the vibe going, you know? Absolutely. I mean, without um, that, what are you doing it for? I mean, I, you know, yeah. I know that you all have kids and divorced and you got alimony and you got this, that, and the other. But, you know, the great, I mean, Eddie Money didn't go out with, with Pro Tools and he was always playing with his band. Yeah. And uh, you never knew what you were going to get. But it was always engaging because it was so honest. The guy would go out and tell jokes. And uh, if it fucked up, he'd apologize, stop the show and start again. Yeah. But you go for that. I've done shows where you break a guitar string in an unplugged situation. And you have to like spend five minutes getting a, a string out and retuning or like, trying to get the other guitar up. And the audience kind of love that because you can talk to them and you're, yeah. you're there. You're not it's a moment, of, really. It really is. And um, when that goes, you know, I, I don't want to get any bigger than I am at the moment. I mean, it's just like we play to 500 people maybe a night. And sometimes we're at a festival where it's about 6,000. Or we've just gone out with Neil Giraldo and Pat Benatar. And we're playing uh, sometimes unplugged. It's yeah. like 4,000, 6,000. And it works. Or we come out doing the unplugged thing and then do the electric thing. But people respond like you wouldn't believe. Because there's a, there's a, a conversation, there's a giving of something, you know, yeah. that seems to be absent now from so many bands. Yeah. You know, if somebody leaves the band, they get somebody in that sounds like it. What the fuck is that? Yeah. I mean, really, isn't that obviously just playing the audience? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you, you you realize you, you you figure that most of casual fans won't even notice the difference, and a lot of them don't. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. just like they don't care. Well, yeah. listen, when in in two thousand nine, I went to see Kiss with my brother, and they had long changed their members, and he says to me, "What what was with Ace tonight?" And it's like, Ace, he hasn't Ace. been there in <laughs> in a decade. Like what the, yeah. but he had the makeup on and. And, you know, and it was just like, okay, I guess he fooled my brother, which I thought was, was kind of surprising because he's pretty up, 
up on the rock stuff, but yeah, yeah. well, you know, it 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 hey. works. Um, oh, Peter you, seemed to have a lot of energy tonight. Oh, that wasn't Peter. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, and by the way, uh, I always ask you about the Vinnie Vincent collaboration. Uh, we we should go there at some point. But let me quickly ask you. You mentioned that you tried to do an electric album. It didn't work, so we did more acoustic. Are we still trying to do the electric album, or is that still on the plate? I think some songs that I write have to be electric. Right. They're more blues driven. Um, and you want the volume and you want the aggression and it's not going to work on plug. And there's some songs that are just like stories. And that, and that's a couple of times I've managed to bring the stories into the electric thing, like forget me not with bad English or um head above the waves with the babies or run to mexico um at time stood still with bad english a lot of my songs have stories in them and occasionally i've been able to put that into an electric framework and it works but like bluebird cafe or downtown you can't do those songs full bore they have to be more conversational so it depends on what I write next. You know, if I write something that that I, you know, I'm, I'm gearing towards it. I mean, as you get to my age and you sort of look back at your life, there's a lot. There's a lot you want to say. And some of it uh, is going to be angry or regretful. It's going to it's going to slot into the blues more than than country or folk. And uh, so I hope maybe the next album I make, I, I will not do the wooden heart thing. I will have half of the songs full on electric hard rock and the other songs will be acoustic. And that would be where probably I've always been trying to get to. Nice dichotomy. Uh, let me just quickly ask you, in the 80s after Missing You and All That comes out and with Bad English, when the, those songs come out, you must have had a pressure from record companies or band to say, okay, let's let's do another part two. Let's do Missing You part two. Let's do yeah. Bad English part two. Do you feel any pressure in your career at right now to do anything? Or are you just completely free just to be John Wayne? Oh, I've been completely free for, for years. I mean, after Bad English, <laughs> I made my mind up that it was getting away from me. Uh, but that was just being in a band. It's sort of, you're meant to let it get away from you. But I came back with Temple Bar, which was probably the best thing I've done. Right. And it happened after Bad English. I, could, I couldn't have written that record without feeling what I felt coming out of Bad English. I was back in New York City. I was on a, on a sort of mission to sort of be a one-man hellfire club. I was living kind of <laughs> wild. But I was also writing songs about it and they were kind of spiritual or they were sexual yearning or whatever. It was all like I was alive and I wrote Temple Bar about the first glass of wine you have in the Temple Bar, which is a bar I used to go to and where your mind goes to. It could be a martini or a glass of red wine, but your mind goes off into a looking back, into a looking forward, you know, Bacchus. And um, that's probably my favorite record. But from that point on, the bar was raised to a point where, you know, that was Temple Bar. I raised my own bar and I've never really 
hopefully not reach that bar. I've always tried to go further, but um, for the last 25 years, you know, I have been absolutely unaware of what anybody else says or thinks. I just do what I do. Man, that's like, got to be a great place. That's to how be you because... should live it. Li- that's how you should live life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's got to be so frustrating when they go. I need you know missing you part two, and you're just like, oh man. Oh, I you know I knew that was coming. I mean yeah. that was lightning in a bottle. You know yeah. that was it was made up on the spot. I made the lyrics up on the spot, the melody, and it was there. And I knew it was number one, and I ticked that box before I even left the the studio i knew it was number one i knew my life was going to change completely i'd been looking for that key all my life for a song that wasn't overly commercial that was that honest that that integrity and had it had the balls and the the vulnerability of a of a hardcore song it was just perfect but when it got to number one that world is a world of spotlights, <laughs> red carpets, friends you don't really know, people knocking on your door you don't really know, the phone rings all the time and somebody picks up and it's trouble, you know? Yeah. It's just like, Jesus Christ, is this it, you know? But I had the wonderful thing of going to number one and I thought at that point, I've written my own ticket. I don't need to do anything really again. It's like Tracy Chapman with Fast Car. Yeah. You get a song that beautiful, and it's and it's perfect. Do you write, you know, slow car? You know, somebody <laughs> at the record company says, "I've got this idea, Johnny. You got to write about a, you know, whatever." So your next song should have been called "I Found You." That should have been the next. Yeah, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> no, but it's 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 in a sense you just described a very spiritual moment that you hit the sort of nirvana. Yeah. And right away, they strip the whole spirit out of you and say, fuck yeah. it. You know, you get there. I think uh, uh, Ian Hunter said it about being, he was looking at um, the uh, marquee of Hammersmith Odeon uh, in London with Mott the Hoople. Yeah. It just got to like number one or whatever with all the young dudes. And he's looking at it and he, think, and he said to himself, is this it? You know? Because all the fun you have getting there is the best it'll ever be. And unless you're an egomaniac and a sociopath, getting there is a whole different deal. And if you really want to, you know, I mean, I can talk about myself here, then I'm going to go to UPS and get some artwork sent out. And I'm going to go and probably, you know, have fish and chips and a pint of Guinness. I don't know. I've got the day off. But But, it's... uh... um, it's yeah, I mean, uh, that philosopher Kierkegaard who said that the anticipation is greater than the get. Wow. Well, you should ask my girlfriend about that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> she said always better than the catch. Yeah. No. Look at this. I got Freud for beginners. So oh, uh, I'm reading this at the moment. This is an eye-opening situation, friends. Well, I'll head over to Soren Kierkegaard, the uh, Danish philosopher, because uh, that whole anticipation is is greater than the get is is really true in life. You, about Christmas, about yeah. the, the girlfriend, about the the, the well, you're it, waiting for, you know. Yeah, but if you if you step into the moment, much like the music, and you don't fantasize, or you you go if you don't stop reading the book kind of thing if you keep turning the pages 
it's going to be wonderful. But if you uh, if you start exaggerating, I mean, enough is enough. Great enough. band, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but there I mean, you go. You know, that's I'm I'm getting philosophical here, but that's that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, hey, said it all. You said it all, yeah. my friend. This is great. Brand Thank new you album. so much. Well, is it still technically brand new? I mean, it's not a year old yet. You can, you still can no, say I, that. I think it's about six, seven months. Is it eight months? Um, I, I believe it came out in June, if I'm not mistaken. Because I, I got it over the summer, and I uh, I bought it from the website. In fact, I bought it live while we were doing an interview, and then I I, I bought it while we were doing the interview because you know that's why that's why we're here today. You're right. a good guy, you know. That's right. And you gotta I, support your artist. You just, you just gotta. You. And the yeah. versions are great. I mean, I just, I just love these versions. And uh, yeah, boy, what a great, uh, what a great combination. Yep. Well, if I could think of something I could do to, to bring, I mean, I, you're always looking for something new. Yeah. If you've got any kind of, it's like, if you look at the artwork, it goes from these caricatures to some extremely um, involved stuff and portraiture like Patti Smith and Arto and uh, Eric Sarty and stuff. But, you know, you're always looking. I mean, once you lose that, you know, life stops, the clock stops, you stop. And you depart from this wonderfulness, you know, you give something up for something else. But I, I hope without sounding too you know, I don't want to sound like I've got the answer, but I hope that as long as I make music, I'm I'm reaching forward. You know, I really do. Yeah. Well, you you seem in a very very or very happy place. I mean, you're 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 doing the music you want to do. Uh, I I know a few people that have gone to see your shows in the states recently. They loved it. They just they just loved the experience. They they on Facebook they have all the signed vinyls and they're just like, man, he takes time. He's He's one of us. What more, what more, what, what more do you want? And of the know, people. It's an honor. You know, it's an honor. Oh, wait, you, you know, sir. somebody asked me a couple of months ago on an interview uh, um, to describe uh, the most important thing about being an artist. And uh, my answer was that people listen. And you have... A communication. I mean, a lot of people have a lot to say and a full heart, but nobody's listening. Right. All my life, I've been able to talk to the world, you know, unselfconsciously write songs and at certain points really stand naked, you know, yeah. and that is the most wonderful thing in the world. When you walk out on stage, there's a couple of thousand people and they understand you. Yeah, you're not some, it, you're not some loner wandering from bar to bar somewhere looking for a, a reasonably priced automatic pistol. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, it's such a wonderful thing to have people understand you. That's yeah. that's the, I mean, Jesus, that's like the Oscar of life. I fully agree, and and the, your music has touched me for almost 40 years now wow that's great 
Well, look, I remember about John being Wake. in I mean, a. You, you well, I, I, the first so time I heard him so frequently, I mean, I was uh, the first time I heard about John Wade, I was walking in a mall in Florida and they played a song by the babies and they go, that's the babies with the singer. Blah, blah. And then a few years later, it, it's like, oh, missing you. And it's just like, oh, and of course, that was all over the TV. You, you, you couldn't be a teenager and miss that. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Thank and you. thank you. It's a great song. And uh, the version with, uh, what's her name? Alison Krauss? Alison Krauss. Yeah. Yeah. That's She's incredible. Uh, well, he, they he, they do a version of Missing You Together, which is which is just sublime. It's it's almost religious. And it's just oh. those two voices just, mm, they blend. Yeah. What a talent. Or what yeah. talents. Plural. Yeah. Well, you know, Alison's like a, a burning shaft of light. She's really the, the real cool thing. She's a beautiful person. And she's represented bluegrass in a modern world, like back to that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things she does are, are old timey and it's just like what you see is what you get. But the stuff with Robert Plant and uh Well her her record, world. Paper Airplane, that came up back in like two thousand eight is <laughs> incredible. They actually won the Grammy Award for uh uh engineering. Mike Shipley, who was the, oh, was the producer of that. But record. Mike Shipley produced Temple Bar. Oh no way. Yeah, and I, and I uh, and I suggested to Allison that she work with Mike Shipley. Wow! So uh, and then Everybody. Mike Shipley is no longer with us, unfortunately. But yeah. uh, he was one of the most gifted guys I've ever been in a room with. When he mixed, um, I sent him the tapes of of Missing You with Allison, and I asked him if he would mix it, and he said sure. You know, and he went in the studio and mixed it. And when I heard it back. Uh, in LA mm -hmm. or Nashville. It's the only time in my life I've heard music in speakers in 3D. There was yeah. like, the bass would be like a foot off the speaker on the left. I would be somewhere in the middle, edging to the right. Alice would be maybe on the left and maybe an inch forward. But it, there was a physicality yeah. to where the sound was placed. Yeah, I've never seen that. That's how brilliant Mike Shipley was. Yeah. And uh, with ears like that and taste like that, he made me laugh out loud a couple of times in the studio. He would just flick a switch and say, do you know what? We need to make that. And he'd go like, just a minute. And he'd go, how about that? And I, I'd go, fucking hell, how'd you do that, Mike? And he'd go like, ah, you know, don't worry. <laughs> it was that good. You know, it's just easy to work with and a great guy, and, and and we miss him. Yeah, I think he's the greatest mixer of all time, honestly. I mean, like... You know, honestly, I mean, what I've just said about the mix, I've never experienced that with any other person, no matter what caliber they are. I've never... It blew my mind. I could not believe what he'd done. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch, Mike Shipley was Mutt's right-hand man, by the way, in the 80s. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. The, the the Mutt Lang, Mike, Mike Shipley, Def Leppard connection, or, yeah. I mean, they made, they defined the 80s moving forward. Best-sounding yeah. records, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like high art, you know? Yeah. And the thing about, you know, it was funny. I was reading an interview with, um, I think it was, I think it was Allison, or it might have been with Mike Shipley, actually. They were talking about that Allison Krauss record, and, you know, they even went so far as like, getting like gold microphone uh, cables and stuff like that to like record the best, best sound possible. And even Alison well, no, Krauss, no, apparently, she refuses to record without it now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like um, 
he had this um he had this compressor that he used for the bass and it and the bass suddenly became like an acoustic bass like on transformer david Bowie working with uh, lou reed mm-hmm. they used an electric bit on walk on the wild side they used an electric bass and an upright upright bass and they combined the two basses to get a certain sound mm-hmm. when it goes boom 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 that's two basses and shipley had this thing where it's like you know it's like me again going like, hey mike couldn't we make the bass kind of like you know and he goes like just a minute and he, and you know and and he brought this thing in the studio this little box he had made and he just killed it and you know Wow. There wasn't anything I asked him to do that he couldn't do and blow my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure. difficult to work with. I mean, I really know what I want. I don't take a lot of guff. You know, it's like I know. Yeah. And in and on Temple Bar, I was making all the decisions and a snap decision. And all he did was help. It was no like politics of, well, no, I'm producing. It was like he helped me to make my best record. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that's how it should be, right? I mean, the artist should be the one giving you the direction, saying, well, this is what I want. You're hired to help me realize that. I mean, if you've got 12 songs, you're under a lot of pressure and you have to cut them all. And you can, you know, I think sometimes a a, a voice of reason is really what a producer is. You know, you need this, you need a song that's going to bridge those two. Um, We need you to sort of sing this in a more aggressive way or don't overdo it you know relax you know and if you get somebody that's like a soulmate or somebody that sees you clearly as you see yourself you're going to make a really good record and if you got somebody in there that's trying to take over and call the shots i suggest you get up and leave and cut your losses and go and do it yourself yeah no, well i right. mean sometimes you need that though i mean if you're a rookie band who's never really been in the studio and CBS just plunked out a bunch of money. They, they should have a right to say, okay, do this, do that. But when they got to your, your part with uh, temple bar 95, I guess it was. Yeah. You don't tell, you don't tell John Wade anything. It's like, listen, I'm sure that they respect that at this point, but I don't deal with those people. Yeah. You know, I, I know people who are technically so far forward now, that are virtually friends, you know? And if I'm in the studio, I already know I'm gonna make the call, you know, to those people. I mean, you could say that's A&R. A&R is artist and repertoire, you know, that's, that's what an A&R guy does. He gets involved and sometimes he shouldn't. But I mean, um, sometimes the band, like you say, they're just young and they yep. haven't a clue, you know? Yep, totally. Well, there we go. Well, rest Thank in you, peace, sir. Mike Shipley. Thanks for the music. And uh, John Waite, man. Geez, absolute uh, pleasure to talk to you today. This was really fun. Well, I enjoyed the questions. And, um, you know, obviously you know what you're talking about. I mean, it's like, it's 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 not so rare now. I've been doing a lot of interviews on the back of, temp- of Wooden Heart. A lot of people I talk to are really smart. You know, it isn't like, hey, Johnny. Why, yeah, you mean what? nobody's yeah. asked you who your cutest bestie was? <laughs> what? Nobody's asked you who your cutest bestie was? Oh yeah, you know, I mean, yo, God. <laughs> but you know, people really maybe it's the, the age group. You know, we've all we've we know a lot, but some of the conversations get really intense. 
Yeah. And I don't even bother if it's going to be a, you know, offensive or, I mean, I'm I, the more I look at the news every day and the woke thing and yeah. some of the madness that's going on in the world right now, it's fuck off, you know, yeah. either be straight up, tell the truth, yeah. be positive and either make a difference or shut up, you know, yeah. it's, it simplifies everything to live in a world like we live. I agree. Totally. I'm with you on that. And uh, for the folks that don't have a wooden heart, the acoustic anthology, which uh, I can sort of show you here. There it is. It is worth the price of admission. I bought this copy and I'm proud that I bought the copy. It was worth every penny. Ticket covers the entire seat, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That was great. That was great. I like that. <laughs> that is true. Thank All you, right, sir. John. Well, Always a pleasure. Go. Thanks a lot. It was great to meet you. And you too. Thanks very much for everything. Have a have a really wonderful uh, Christmas and take care and be well. Back Merci. at you. All right. Cheers. See you later. Bonsoir. Thank you. Bye bye.